You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. It is Saturday, June 26, 2021, and we're broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, June 27, 2021, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama, and uh, sometime next week on WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. We are coming to you today commercial-free, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO. So get that number ready and give us a call for your bad boss stories, your organizing wins, your union questions, anything at all. Nothing's off the table. And the first folks on the line are coming to us live from the International Teamsters Convention. So we're really excited to get an update from them on today's Valley Labor Report. Uh, Remember, folks, the North Alabama DSA has a necessities drive this Saturday and every Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local 558 Union Hall on Clinton Avenue right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805. So bring by your non-perishable food items, your PPE, clothes, blankets, all that good stuff, and your donations will be forwarded to the Manor House. You can follow at DSA North Alabama on Twitter for more information. If you want to see what we are up to throughout the week and get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow Follow us on social media. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore AL. If you miss part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for the Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. Uh, you can go back and watch the full show there, and we also clip segments and release them throughout the week. We also upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, you can go to the Valley Labor Report.transistor.fm slash subscribe. We've got a website where you can buy our fantastic union made hats and union made stickers. That is the Valley Labor Report.com. And finally, if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air, then consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. So, like I said, folks, uh, our first first folks that we got on the line are coming straight from the Teamsters International Convention. 
Uh, we've got Ryan Haney. He is a rank-and-file teamster. We've got John Palmer, the Southern International Vice President for the Teamsters and a member of the Teamsters Reform Caucus, uh, the Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Uh, Ryan, John, brothers, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Have you got mic three up? Can y'all hear us? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I can hear you now. Uh, so yeah, thank y'all so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to be here. Great, great. So uh, Ryan, you had some some context for the Teamsters that you wanted to uh, uh, that, that that you wanted to give before we jumped into the conversation about the convention. So uh, sure. t- tell us about that. Yeah, well, first, just to introduce myself, I mean, you know, my name is Ryan. I'm, I'm a truck driver out in, in Dallas, Texas. I'm a member of Local 745. Um, but um, I wanted to, before we, it's it's so cool that this convention is getting broader uh, notice. You know, I even saw something on uh, NPR was covering it. Uh, but I wanted to zoom out a bit and talk about kind of what are the deeper goals? Why is this important? Um, and I, I believe this is really bigger than the Teamsters. And that's why I think you wanted us to come on this radio show and talk about it. But, uh, you know, our goal, like your goal, is fundamentally to rebuild the power of the working class. Uh, that means real wages. That means fully paid health care. That means pensions and retirement. Uh, that means forcing political parties to prioritize labor over capital instead of, you know, how it's done now, which is, you know, backwards. Uh, historically, what's worked is having large, strong, militant unions that represent workers in essential sectors of the economy. Unions where if workers decide to strike to withhold their labor, everyone has to take notice. The Teamsters Union used to be a union like this, or at least with the potential to be like this. Millions of workers organized in trucking, parcel, warehousing, logistics. But one thing that hampered us or at least left our union unprepared to deal with this generalized attack on the working class that began with Reagan. Uh, What hampered us was having a union leadership uh, that ran things from the top down, one that had become notoriously tied to the mob. Uh, one where members who stood up against were this were blackballed. They were driven out of the union. Uh, some were even, you know, beaten up and killed uh, for standing up to this corruption. Uh, Teamsters for a Democratic Union, a caucus that I belong to as well, uh, was born out of these conditions in 1976, I believe, and has been advocating for member democracy, insisting <laughs> that more democracy and more member-led unionism will translate into more powerful unionism, will translate into working class power generally. So out of that movement, some important gains were won, like really incredible stuff, like giving every rank and file member the right to vote on top leadership of the union. The mob was driven out completely. Uh, There is still corruption, like in any large organization, you're going to find corruption, you're going to find people who take advantage, but it's of a much less dramatic nature. And we have independent monitoring boards that were demanded by the rank and file and set up. And I'd say the Teamsters are now one of the most democratic unions because of this 40 year rank and file movement. Uh, and with the recent, uh, with the achievements in our uh, more recent convention that I'm going to let uh, John give out the details about that, I think we're even better poised to go big on member-led organizing, having member votes on contracts that count 100% of the time. 
uh, actually organizing member-led contract campaigns with some really big employers instead of these backroom deals. And it's this context that will allow us to rebuild our union and empower workers in uh, large employers like Amazon, the logistics industry more broadly. That's exactly right. And, you know, you mentioned something there that was uh, the, the broader conversation about the Teamsters for a Democratic Union, the fact that the Teamsters was, uh, you know, it, it was involved with the mob and things, but, but the members did not give up on their union in the same way that and and you know there there are a lot of people that will say that unions are corrupt as a way to attack joining unions you know that's something that bosses will say during campaigns to to you know to and and it's it's true to to a greater or lesser extent depending on the union and depending on what region you're in and, and things like that but that's always one of the things that that they say when you've got a union in your workplace oh you shouldn't join it because it's corrupt or your dues money is going to go to this or that or the other thing and what the teamsters for a democratic union have done it, it, which is the same thing as people who are committed to a cause uh, and to principles have always done is they did not give up on their union, which was taken over by malevolent forces uh, because they recognized that even while it was taken over by malevolent forces, it was uh, ultimately a force for good in a lot of people's lives. And it could be turned into a force for good in a greater way and for even more people's lives. When you have an institution like the Teamsters, like any union, uh, the answer is not to give up on it. The answer is if it's if it's ultimately it can be turned into a vehicle for the working class, for um, you know the emancipation, the liberation of working people. You just you can't you can't give up on it. And and you know this is an argument. We're on a conservative radio station. This is an argument that our our listeners, that many of them that are on the radio, would take to heart as it relates to the United States of America. They think, you know, that, uh, that there are a lot of people that think at the upper echelons of our government, there's the deep state and there's and, and, and there's a lot of corruption. And that's certainly true, just like it was with the Teamsters to a greater or lesser extent. But nobody in the audience, by and large, is going to say... I'm going to give up on America. I'm going to give up on America. And and, and just like y'all are not giving up on the project of the United States, you're also not giving up on on the Teamsters. And I think that that's really important. Right. You nailed it. So, uh, you know, so so, um, Palmer, can you tell us about this convention? Ryan mentioned that, you know, this has, and I mentioned that this convention, this Teamsters convention has uh, really penetrated the mainstream consciousness in the United States that uh, that international union conventions don't often do anymore. Now, of course, it, it this happened all the time. Previously, there was all sorts of reporting on contract negotiations on international conventions because the labor movement was a center of power in the United States in the mid-20th century in a way that it's not really anymore. But this convention has really, uh, you know, I mean, there are people that aren't even that aren't even super politically savvy that I've heard saying, oh, the Teamsters are doing something. What's up with that, Jake? And, and that makes me really excited. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, like, normies talking to me about unions i love it i love it so you know uh what the hell's going on at the teamsters convention well uh quickly a little bit about myself i started driving a truck right out of the military in 1980 uh became a union member in 80 became a team teamster in 87 
uh, went out, um, well, you know, immediately changed my life. A first generation teamster, um, lived in a town of low wages, San Antonio, Texas, uh, transformed my life. Let me raise two kids and uh, a mother that stayed at home to take care of our children. Uh, we lived a solid middle class life, owned all the things that people want to own homes, cars, boats all the toys that, that we strive to have in this capitalistic society. Um, and, and uh, you know, just was totally sold out how to change my life from, from not being able to run the air conditioner when I first went to work out of high school to, to being able to live a nice, solid, middle-class life. So um, it was, it was uh, aside from my, my you know, family, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, so... You know, we. I went on to uh, uh, work as an organizer for Ron Carey, who, you know, we had a similar movement in the '90s. It was it was uh, the the '97 strike and and a reform movement we had at the convention in the in the '90s. We had a, a three way race, uh, and Ron Carey won with a little over thirty percent of the the delegates, and and then won a, a, a fairly fairly large victory, considering there were more than one group on the ballot. Um, and then we were on the road to, to reform. And, um, you know, later we slid back into the same sort of bureaucratic top down movement that we had always been. Um, uh, I know Mr. Hoff is retiring. I won't spend a lot of time talking about that. But uh, I think the members were suckered into thinking the Hoffa name really had power. Um, I don't believe that to be the case. The power in, in labor is always the membership, not not some crony sitting at the top of the uh, um, the, the organization. So uh, this this convention was interesting because the members five years ago had finally been fed up with what they've seen, the, the lack of representation, the lack. They're not being heard, right? I'm, I'm an organizer. So I, I spent most of my career as an organizer, some of it as a business agent. They're not being heard. They, they, they um, are, are, are simply being fed a corporate line and you know, the dues need to come into the, the coffers at the international level and the contracts are being negotiated in a manner that, that be, you know, befitted the, the, the employers and basically kept, um, you know, we were, UPS in particular would throw money at, at the members and we would lose language. We would uh, subdivide our membership. So right. um, it, with the, the TDU movement, which has been around for a long time, we really began to engage people I think the the international and the leadership had done a really good job of uh, attacking TDU and, and and you know sort of staining it, torn and feathering it, <laughs> so that uh, it was really, really hard to fight this fight. But as you say, no one gave up, and and uh, we got to this uh, the last convention. I'll give you a really good example: the uh, uh, threshold to uh, get on the ballot as a candidate. Uh, set by the federal government um, when they tr- uh, didn't trustee, but uh, the consent decree uh, sort of governed the rules of, of uh, our conventions and elections was 5%. Uh, I, I, as Southern Region Vice President, I needed um, eight uh, delegates to get on the ballot. I got nine. Um, there was a lot of ha, ha, ha about that, uh, laughing, you know, how, you know, we're wasting our money on election, but the members spoke after that, and, and we won in the South with a 57% margin. So um, clearly the disconnect's obvious. This time, uh, the the disconnect is still there, make no mistake. But the momentum we built through, through grassroots organizing uh, really, really brought us to a place to where we uh, 
you know, this time I think I got, you know, 44, 45% of the delegates, um, which was the lowest vote count, but uh, I'm still a TDU guy. So that's, I'm not captain popularity, um, but that's not reflective of the membership. Right. The members yet to vote. We expect to get out and, and engage the membership and listen to the membership. And we expect to make a big difference as, as for the issues. Um, a couple of years ago, the UPS members had a contract shoved down their throat. Many of our members describe it in a much different manner than having it shoved down their throat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it felt, FM radio. It felt <laughs> that way. So we'll leave it to their imaginations. Exactly yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I know we're on public radio. So, so it felt that way to many people. Um, our members were enraged. Um, you know, we've organized around that. We, we, we wanted to make, there were several issues. Uh, there was a, they call it a brownout because UPS is brown, but a blackout of information in those negotiations. The members didn't know what was going on. One of the things that we wanted to address was that, that we want rank and file members in every negotiations. Uh, no matter how skilled you are as, as, a, as a negotiator, you don't understand what it's like to, to walk the shop floor every day. That that was a must. So um, we, we wanted to abolish the two-thirds rule, which means, you know, I'll try to make it as simple as I can. Um, the international was able to impose contracts if less than 50% of the membership voted. In this case, I think it was close to 50. I think it was in the 48, 49 percentile that rejected the contract. And, and um, in the past, it supplements the international went on, respected that vote and went back to the table. This time they stuck it down the member's throat and the members were really, really angry. They created two tier systems, second class citizens. That's a problem throughout the labor movement. We cannot be doing that to our brothers and sisters. Absolutely. So all of these things came to a head and there were a couple other issues we would like to see that we lost on. Um, one of them is that to hold the general president, general secretary's position, you would absolutely have to have spent 24 months working as a rank and file teamster. We felt like that was important. Uh, we had an attorney running our union for the last 23 years. Um, that that you know that speaks for itself how it played out. Um, so that amendment failed. We wanted to uphold the five percent rule, which is critical to keeping democracy. Uh, that that one failed, but but the the overwhelming issues of of the two thirds rule, um, you know, having rank and file members on the on the negotiating committee, even the detractors had to had to uh, own own this and 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 pass it. And uh, the, the gentleman I'm running, which John O'Brien, and the the remainder of the slate is a coalition of folks that are not all TDU. Um, we knew that we had to pull together a coalition in order to make this happen. Uh, Sean O'Brien's very, very progressive. Um, and, you know, he won the majority of the delegates, which which is a big, long journey in five years. So mm. so that's sort of the overview of, of what's happening here. It really is a, a rebirth of democracy. Uh, if it had been for the government, honestly, um, the democratic values we have now wouldn't be there. And I'll reinforce that with one more thing and I'll shut up for a minute. Uh, is that uh, TDU was uh, uh, instrumental in uh, engaging with their attorneys, the federal government and forcing us to get these democratic um, um, elements placed in our constitution. So, um, you know, it, it was it's really critical. The labor movement, it's not like Brian said in the beginning, it's really, really critical that that unions become membership driven and and militant. Let's be honest. Right. 
uh, corporate America gives two about us. They they really don't care, and we, we we have to you know you know we have we have to take a hold of this. We're stronger than they are. There's more of us, and it's time for a change in this country. Right. That yeah. That that's absolutely right. And and the the importance of it's not that um you know of course there is an ideological commitment that that you have and that I have to democracy and uh you know democratic planks in a union's constitution because we believe that we believe that workers are important and, and you know we have like we have this commitment to, to workers and worker power but it's also there's a there's a practical um there's a practical nature to having these democratic elements and 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 having a union that is member run and and which is that uh, when you have a union that is really truly member run which, which you know all unions are to to a greater or lesser extent you know there's a certain amount of structure there that that is necessarily democratic but you can have greater you can have it to a greater or lesser extent and um, the more that you have the less room that people at the top have for corruption for taking deals with uh, with the bosses behind closed doors like the UAW president did uh, some time ago you know if he if there was more democracy if there was more transparency in the negotiation process if if uh, if bargaining was open if all members uh, that, that are in that contract that are under that contract could see all of the uh, negotiations if all of the bargaining committees were uh, were had more rank and file representation if everybody leading the union had to be rank and file you know because pe- people in the rank and file they don't want corruption they don't want their leaders taking handouts from the boss they don't want uh, uh, it, you know they, they want their unions to be good effective organizations for themselves and for their communities and so the more the more membership uh, 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 control you have over the union the better it is and, and the more effective your union is going to be able to be I want to remind everybody that we are coming to you commercial free courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO. If you have a question for us or if you have a bad boss story or anything like that that you want to talk to us about after we finish talking uh, uh, talking to these Teamsters who are live on location at the Teamsters International Convention, you can give us a call. The phone number is 1-866-494-9866. So, uh, we're talking about the Teamsters International Convention with the Southern International Vice President, uh, John Palmer, who is a member of the Teamsters for a Democratic Union, rank-and-file Teamster, who is also a member of Teamsters for a Democratic Union, which is the Teamsters Reform Caucus, Ryan Haney. Um, the resolution that has really taken ever that 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 has really caught everybody's attention which you know there's some talk especially in the labor space about these other things which which i think are are really important and and really really uh really good is the um the amazon resolution john can you talk to us about that what what exactly did it say and what does that mean like functionally going forward well, as, as you know, well, um, you know, resolutions are, um, you know, we've all probably, if we've been activists, gone to a city council or, you know, a group or, uh, you know, some sort of uh, caucus and, and suggested that we, we move a resolution. So resolutions are strong uh, statements uh, that, that, that reinforce the goals and direction of, of uh, an organization. Um, they're not as binding as, as some other things, that, you know, legal things that you can do, constitutional changes. But I think the entire labor movement understands the importance of, 
uh, Amazon. And this resolution reaffirms the commitment of the Teamsters, which happen to have just about every segment of the Amazon system as part of their um, core constituency, right? We're, we're truck drivers, we have rail, we have ports, we have, um, you know, the warehousing, the entire supply chain. I mean, all the way into the landfill. We represent members in every segment of this this, um, this supply chain. And I think it, it reaffirms that the Teamsters are committed to it. We, we see this as an existential, existential threat to the um, to working men and women, honestly. It's bigger, again, you know, labor needs to get out of the, the labor box as organized labor and become a, a part of the, the bigger community of, of the working class. Uh, and and be and that that's where we want to have my personal view, along with many of the folks that are that are you know old organizers like myself, is that that this number one this is this is Walmart on steroids. Uh, this is uh, the whole you know if they could they're going to buy up the world right they're going to own everything. So we and I, I mean that I'm not trying to be sarcastic. They are they're finding ways into all all sorts of industries mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, competition is beginning to dry up in this country. Um, so it's going to take an effort larger than just the labor movement. It's going to take, um, and, and and labor unions need to get over themselves and learn how to work together and, and get away from these turf wars and these egos that we have, you know, as a long-term um, um, employee of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, I've got to tell you, the biggest, most damaging thing that we have are egos in, in the labor movement. The people who just can't seem to understand who pays their salaries. Yeah. But back to my earlier point, we're going to have to, to coalesce around um, community, environmental, uh, religious, and and other labor unions. I always tell people, again, I'm, I know I'm on live radio, but Jeff Jeff Bezos could could crap the amount of money that we could spend in a lifetime as a labor movement, probably in a day, right. and, and and affect our outcome. But he can't change the outcome of a of a militant uprising of, of men and women and, uh, and communities that that clearly understand what's going on, and that's our job. And and uh, and I'll say to this, you know, the the failure of 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 labor, large labor in this country, has been that we've taken on a paternal model instead of embracing the organizing model. The the representational model should always be the organizing model. Uh, If we're going to win a strong contract at UPS, we're going to have to organize our members to fight for a strong contract. If we're going to win a long-term battle against Amazon, we're going to have to organize more than ourselves. We're going to have to organize um, the whole country to understand what a threat this this uh, move is with with Amazon. Right. Um, well, so, and that's the you know you you mentioned that it's an existential threat, and why is it an existential threat? It's an existential threat because uh, look what they're doing to logistics industries and warehouse industries and uh, and and all these things. These these were good. Uh, you know, middle class, single income, support a family jobs. And uh, the Teamsters put out in Southern California, Amazon drivers are making $16 an hour, where UPS drivers make $38 an hour plus health care and benefits. And, and I think a pension, right? 
Yes. And and so, I mean, this is, it's insane. It's absolutely insane what Amazon has been able to do, the propaganda that they've been able to put out into the media about like, oh, look, we've got a $15 an hour minimum wage. And it's like, that was supposed to be a minimum wage for service industry workers. Like, that, this was not supposed to be a median wage for middle-aged people, and that's what Amazon has tried to turn it into, and that is why Amazon is such an existential threat to UPS drivers and, and to workers everywhere, and that's why this resolution by the Teamsters at the convention to unionize Amazon is so important, and I'm so excited that that happened. Um, we're talking right now to John Palmer, the Teamsters International Vice President for the Southern Region, and Ryan Haney, both members of the Teamsters for a Democratic Union. We're going to take a break for the news at the top of the hour for just a moment, and then we will be right back with them to wrap it up. We are coming to you commercial-free, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO, and we'll be right back. Put it there, boy, we'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host, Adam Keller. We've got a surprise guest today. Uh, David Story is joining us. He's going to chat with us, and we're going to take some calls after uh, uh, after the uh, uh, after we finish talking to the Teamsters. And uh, so, you know, John and Ryan, uh, David reminded me that uh, Brian, what's his last name? Sean O'Brien. Sean O'Brien, uh, he's a member of TDU, and he actually, uh, he was the teamster, I didn't realize who it was, that brought down a truck uh, for an RWDSU rally during the Amazon campaign, uh, and he's running for, what is it, president? Or, I don't know exactly what it is. Do you, know, do you remember, do you all know what Sean O'Brien's running for? Just General to, president. Just to clarify first, uh, Sean O'Brien, he, he's not a member of uh, Teams for, for a Democratic Union, but he is a member of this broader coalition that we've built, um, which, you know, I, I think is important to, to note that, you know, it's not just all about this scrappy rank and file caucus going up against the entire establishment or whatever. It's really been coalition building with people who, you know, it's like we may not agree with on 100 percent of things, but we find that we agree on 80 percent of things. Right. And we run with that and that's how we build power. Right, right. Okay, that's great. That's great. Well, yeah, um, yeah. So, I, it's it's so great that he extended that support. Um, you said to uh, was it to the best more Amazon campaign? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. There was. So what happened is there was a disgruntled former Teamster who was uh, handing out anti-union propaganda at the gates by the RWDSU organizers, and O'Brien apparently heard about it, and he was like, uh, "We're not having the Teamsters' name sullied as anti-union nonsense. So we're going to come down, and we're going to come to a rally, and we're going to, you know, have our big Teamsters truck here, and and uh, so you know that's the kind of stuff that that." That I do hope a more a more militant, a more uh, worker-driven Teamsters and other unions can can do um, across the country is is lend our support to other organizing campaigns in whatever way we can um, in, to show that solidarity and, and and things like that. Do y'all have any at all preliminary polling? Like, do you have any idea how the election is going to go after the convention is over? I think it's safe to say that we will uh, win a majority of the rank and file vote in the fall Um, because we're going to be out there at the gates. We're going to be informing the members. We have a grassroots movement that's going to get it done. That's really exciting. That's really exciting. 
So what are – oh, I'm sorry, Ryan. No, I agree with that. I, I think the difference in, in uh, us and the other guys is um, that the, the grass – and to Sean O'Brien's credit, he's, he's embraced – the rank of file movement. He's, he understood that that for a long time our union had been divided amongst the, sort of the old guard and um, um, you know reformers. And Sean understood that we couldn't continue to go on like this. This really is a microcosm of what's going on in our country. Hmm. And, and you know he chose not to make this a two party system, but a unified uh, group that could find common fronts, like Ryan talked to earlier. And this is the first time in in uh, thirty years that that we've really had a chance to. Um, be heard. You know, we've been on the sidelines. As, you know, Sean used lots of football analogy. We're we're in we're in between the chalk lines now. Right. We'll be soon. Right. Right. Well, that's that's really exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the results of the election. Uh, for uh, to to wrap up, why don't you tell us um, what do you think the labor movement and working people at large can expect from a uh, from a Teamsters union led by this coalition that TDU has pulled together. Ryan, you want to tackle that? You want me to take it? Uh, sure. I mean, I think they can uh, expect a union that's going to go bold. I think they can uh, expect uh, campaigns that are going to be more member driven, which I think is very important. You mentioned earlier, you know, it's, we, we got to have these UPS drivers who do have a relatively strong contract talking about the conditions that they have through a union, uh, not just wages, but also due process, uh, protection against arbitrary termination, things like that, that uh, the vast majority of workers in America currently lack. Um, but uh, I really hope we go hard after Amazon. I actually worked uh, at an Amazon facility in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, it was the worst job that I've ever had. I can't underline that enough. It was miserable there. Uh, no one deserves to be in conditions like that. And I want to, you know, since we're on an Alabama show, I want to extend credit to uh, RWDSU and the, the you know, the, the worker supporters in Bessemer, even though that didn't go the way we wanted to see it go. I think that lit a fire uh, under, you know, everyone else's butt. Um, including the Teamsters, we had we've had departments looking and researching this Amazon thing for you know probably a decade, but no real uh, widespread membership buy-in in education until now. So, uh, and also I want to say that UPS will be negotiating a new contract uh, in the coming years. UPS is the largest pri- unionized private company. In the United States, uh, it's incredibly important that they negotiate a good contract, that they eliminate uh, this uh, awful two-tier system that was imposed by the, you know, the outgoing administration. And we're going to need a lot of community support around that, too. Yep, that's exactly right. John, anything from you? Uh, I think, I think uh, Ryan is absolutely correct. I, I, you know, the challenges are really, really uh, profound. I, I think we need to unify the labor movement. It, it is uh, absolutely the the two tier systems have proven. You know how how long have those been going on? Thirty years now. Mm. That they they're not they're, they they anger the members. They divide the members. Right. Um, That's what you know, we, we further you know our society suffers from the same causes of, of creating classes of people and subclasses and uh, we need to be the 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 motivator. The you know the thing that rises you know, makes all the boats float, right? No. Ryan. John, Ryan, think, oh, did you have something? Yeah, I just wanted to, this is Adam here. I just wanted to 
thank you guys both for what you're doing in the labor movement and what you're doing inside the Teamsters. And I want to thank you for coming on the show this morning and, you know, trying to fill us in on, on what's been going on in, in y'all's section of the labor movement. And just a personal shout out to Ryan. Ryan, you know, we had never met until the Strike Fest. And uh, I want the audience to know Ryan drove all the way from Dallas, Texas with an envelope full of cash donations <laughs> from his Teamster brothers and sisters. So him and his very sweet wife drove all the way to Brookwood, Alabama, so they could donate in person and support the cause yep. in person uh, to our 1,100 coal miners still on strike down at uh, Warrior Met. So that's the kind of activist and, and dedicated unionist that Ryan is. It's been a pleasure to you know get to know you that way. and. I uh, look forward to, to hearing more about the great work both you guys are doing inside of the Teamsters. That's exactly right. John, Ryan, thank you all so much for talking to us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, so folks, uh, we've been talking to Ryan Haney and uh, John Palmer. John Palmer is uh, the international vice president for the Teamsters in the Southern Region. Uh, and we're coming to you about the Teamsters convention, um, about the Amazon resolution, and about, the, and about their work in the Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Uh, and we're coming to you commercial-free today, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO. Uh, so we are, the phone lines are open. If you want to give us a call, 1-866-494-9866. You can talk to us. <clears throat> you can talk to us about anything you want. Uh, you want to call with a bad boss story? We would love it. You want to call with an organizing win? We would love it. You want to call with a union question? We would love it. You want to ask us a question about the Teamsters convention? Love to talk about that. Anything, nothing is off the table. Give us a call. one 494 9866 One more time, that phone number is one 494 9866 And just a reminder, we've got David Story in the house today. Uh, he came by to pick up something, and his wife is here with us. Uh, thank you, Moon. And uh, so, you know, David might be able to answer some questions uh, if you if y'all have anything for him. So, uh, Adam, you had an update about the NEA uh, staff organization um, kerfuffle that's been going on, right? Yeah, so I just wanted to update you guys. Last week we talked about the uh, NEA staff org. Uh, which is an affiliate of the National Staff Organization, representing the employees that work directly for NEA. Uh, their organizing campaign is working, it appears. Uh, Wednesday night, they had a virtual solidarity rally, which went very well. Uh, they're getting a lot of support online. Uh, and the bargaining table, uh, they resumed bargaining uh, Thursday morning after the rally. It's my understanding and talking with a member that uh, they're actually back at the table today, possibly tomorrow, and they're feeling good about where they're at right now because of the groundswell of support, uh, which, you know, we talked last week about the bad look it is to be a union who is mistreating your own staff union employees. Right. So uh, keep it up. For those of you who haven't checked it out, neaso.org slash strike. You can check out their demands. Right now, they're asking that you share their demands, uh, particularly those of you who are educators who belong to NEA, uh, even retired members. Uh, it goes a long way for those of you uh, to share that. They do have a virtual picket line that has been organized, but right now it hasn't come to that yet. 
So we'll keep you posted on how things are developing with that strike or potential strike. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But uh, really proud to see my brothers and sisters from NSO uh, organizing in D.C. trying to get a fair contract that they deserve out of NEA headquarters. Yeah. And uh, something I think that our discussion this morning with the Teamsters reform efforts and with, you know, this internal battle within NEA is that, you know, with the value labor report, we are unabashedly pro-union, pro-labor, pro-worker. We will defend and promote unions whenever possible. But at the same time, you know, we are loyal to the mission and to the membership and to the movement which isn't always the same as individuals and institutions. And like any institutions, you know, unions uh, have their pros and cons. Sometimes they have bad leaders. Sometimes they have good leaders. Sometimes they have issues that need to be resolved and improved upon. And I think uh, our brothers from the Teamsters this morning put it great that where you go to solve those problems is to the members. And the more power is in the hands of the rank and file, the more power we will have in our unions and this, the more power we will have in our economy and our society. So I think that's where, you know, there's a common thread there that we're not just naive cheerleaders who are sitting here thinking that every union is doing everything 100 percent correct. And, you know, every president and executive director walks on water. Uh, We've all been around long enough to know that's not true. Uh, But what we do know is that unions are ultimately working class institutions. So there's some parallels between, you know, working reform a union uh, and some of the conversations about joining Democrats or joining Republicans to try to remake them. But the difference is that unions are made up of working class people. They are funded by dues from working class people. uh, And they are made up of members who are working class people. And there is at least theoretically some amount of a, accountability to those working class members and you can't say the same about the democratic party or the republican party right so that's that's where those parallels kind of uh you know dovetail and i think why it's so important what ryan and john are trying to do with teamsters and what so many of us are trying to do with with other unions across the country yeah that that's exactly right and you know uh the uh, speaking of uh holding institutions to their purported values somebody asked about this in the youtube chat um and 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 it's something that we talked about last week so we'll just give a a really quick update on that uh you know we talked last week about how the msnbc uh is union busting wokely uh how they said that um you know uh, having a union there which would mean union dues being paid by their workers would discourage black and brown workers from working at MSNBC, which is just the most absurd thing that anybody can think of. You know, uh, uh, black, there's so much that's wrong I, with there's that so statement, much, really. There's so much that's wrong with that. I mean, it really is insane. Black union workers have like 10 times the wealth of non-union black workers. Uh, you know, black workers and unions make their income is significantly higher. I mean, it's just, it's it's so silly. And to think that their black workers wouldn't understand that, especially in a news organization where they're supposed to be fact finding and things like this. You know, it's it's so condescending and paternalistic and racist in in a lot of ways, honestly. Uh, but they did not. They refused to cave to pressure to uh, voluntarily recognize their union, which again is ind- industry standard in the media world. Um, they did not voluntarily recognize their union, and uh, so the uh, staff at MSNBC did 
did file for an election with the NLRB. So, um, so we'll keep you updated on that, and we will let you know when they win their union at MSNBC. And hopefully, maybe, we'll see if their content becomes watchable. That would be great. That would be... I'm not going to hold my breath, I'm not holding but, my breath, you know, I certainly hope the folks who are actually doing the work over there yeah. um, <laughs> get a little bit of the massive amount of profits they make from Comcast and, and their corporate advertisers, all that big pharma money, because Lord knows, if you turn on cable news, mm-hmm. just about every commercial is a... Uh, medication a prescription they're trying to sell you and they you know have side effects usually worse than whatever it is they're supposed to be curing so yeah that's the cable news experience yeah, <laughs> yeah we no here kidding. do not accept advertisements from big pharma uh we are sponsored by <laughs> listeners like you that's right donating to our and patreon and paypal and of course uh the alabama afl cio machinist unions the machinist uh, union and, and other uh, great supporters so yeah uh, and we appreciate that support Yep, that's right. That's right. Uh, so, um, if you want to give us a call, the phone number is one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six. Let's go ahead and look at what happened last week in Southern Labor. Uh, brought to you by Jonah Furman. You can subscribe uh, to get last week in the rest of Labor on Substack. The title of his newsletter is "Who Gets the Bird." But uh, he has said that uh, that we could pull out what happens in the South and and uh, talk about it every week on our program. So we appreciate his work pulling together that. And I'd encourage you to read the rest of the newsletter. So this can kind of be like the teaser. You can go and see what's happening in the rest of the United States at Who Gets the Bird on Substack. So let's. Let's look first at new organizing. 18 sanitation workers for Jochum Refuse in Wheeling, West Virginia are organizing with the Teamsters, local 697. Thank you, Teamsters. 10 drivers for Triple Crown Concrete in Somerset, Kentucky are unionizing with, again, the Teamsters, local 89. Seven workers who make synthetic rubber for Xeon Chemicals in Louisville, Kentucky, again, are organizing with the Teamsters, local 89. They are on a roll over there in Kentucky and West Virginia. 28 tire production workers in Titan, at Titan in Jefferson, Georgia, are organizing with the steel workers. 28 security guards for Akima and AEPS contractors in Triangle, Virginia, are joining UGSO, Local 290. Not familiar with them, but uh, good for them. Eight aircraft welders for Amentum in Corpus Christi, Texas, are joining the Machinists Union. That's right. Seven workers for Gold Belt C6, which I, uh, which Jonah says he believes makes aircraft components on federal contracts in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, are also joining the Machinists Union. So congratulations to them and David for his union there. Uh, NLRB wins 21 workers at ALS USA, which does geochemistry lab work in Fairbanks, Arkansas, narrowly voted 8-6 to six to join Laborers Local 942. SEI Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, lost a massive decertification vote among 658 workers at uh, Research Medical Center in Kansas City, Missouri, which is owned by the notorious Hospital Corporation of America. The final count was 203 to 171, although Jonah notes that members of the union are disputing the process and the results, so we'll see what happens there. 
Uh, strikes and bargainings. Updates on strikes and bargainings. The 2,900 worker UAW Local 2069 strike at Volvo Truck in Dublin, Virginia is continuing. Shortages are now affecting other Volvo operations at a plant in Maryland. The company is apparently back at the bargaining table, uh, which is what shutting down operations and supply chains will do. And that's, and that's why strikes work, because the work is done by the workers. So if workers refuse to do the work, then the work doesn't get done. The bosses aren't going to be able to do it. There's not enough of them, and they don't know how to do it. So that's why withholding your labor is such a powerful and is the most powerful weapon that workers have. Exxon seems to have no interest in ending the lockout of 650 steel workers at their refinery in Beaumont, Texas, and they are dead set on gutting the union seniority system. That was been going on for a long quite time. a while, right? Quite a while, quite a while. Uh, Jonah notes that elsewhere in Beaumont, ATU Local 1031, uh, bus operators for the tr- city's transit system have released a statement saying they hope to avoid a strike, which is a nice way of saying that they're ready to walk, having authorized right. a strike earlier this month. So, uh, ho- hoping for success for them. And finally, the last update in the South is that 11 hun- the 1,100 striking Alabama UMWA members, our sisters and brothers down there in Brookwood, took their fight to Manhattan this week, organizing protests outside of the offices of three hedge funds that hold uh, large stakes in Warrior Met. Uh, and they would, therefore, have some amount of influence in moving the company to settle a contract. If you want to uh, read more about what happened at uh in new york and um what happened uh the week before down in brookwood where they stopped scabs from coming into the mines uh you can follow kim kelly at grim kim on twitter uh she's written some really good articles they uh, she has a fantastic documentary some short mini films about the strike just in general uh out at the real news i have still not been able to sit down and watch it but i've heard really good things about it definitely definitely um check that out and also uh i'm gonna have an article about the picket line a couple weeks ago and the new york uh the new york action coming out in the print issue of in these times magazine which is free to all union members free to all union members just through the end of this month, I think. So if you are not subscribed to In These Times and you want to get a nice magazine to put on your coffee table, but you don't have the money for it and you're a union member, which includes the IWW, the IWW is a union, um, then subscribe for free. That so and and you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to read my article about the strike there. Uh, so, and, and I'm sure it'll come out online at some point. So um I want to shout out in these times magazine is doing great, great journalism. And uh, I know Hamilton Nolan from the magazine uh, participated in our live stream fundraiser for the mine workers. And shout out to Kim Kelly and uh, Max Alvarez and all the folks at the Real News Network. They are doing great work covering the strike. Um, you know, we mentioned MSNBC and the mainstream media, which is corporate owned and corporate. Uh, corporate aligned and there are issues like this that just never get any attention 
And right. so that's what we're trying to do here uh, with a local spin on it. But what In These Times, Real News Network, and, and freelancers like Kim are doing is really filling in the void of real information about working class issues that are relevant to working class lives. Yeah. And so, uh, again, all that information is in Jonah Furman's Who Gets the Bird newsletter. You can find it on Substack.com. Uh, it is fantastic. And it is, I, I think that, that for me, every every week when I read it, it's a little shot of hope uh, that I get, you know, reading about. Uh, because especially if what you tune into is uh, conservative talk radio or MSNBC or CNN, everything is that there's this kind of great man view of history and view of the contemporary world that uh, there are a few great people that are making all of the moves and they are who our lives depend on and when you actually find workers uh, find stories about workers taking their lives into their own hands uh, it can be it, you know it, it's it's almost like a drug it, it, it it's really um, it's really nice seeing workers take taking their lives into their own hands and uh, controlling their destinies in a way that a lot of capitalists, bosses, mainstream media doesn't want you to believe is an option. And so uh, all of these things are happening all over the United States. Uh, it took us about 10 minutes to get through just what's happening in the South. So check out what is happening in the rest of the United States at Who Gets the Bird on Substack.com, written by Jonah Furman. And another great thing about that, uh, I noticed a lot of small shops, you know, mm-hmm. when you open up about new organizing efforts and a lot of times, I think the stereotype of unions is you you envis- envision a factory floor, you know, with a thousand workers, something like that. Uh, but many of us worked in, or worked or currently work in small shops. There may be a dozen employees or less there. You too can organize. You too can unionize. And in fact, there are certain uh, advantages to that. Obviously, it's uh, it takes less people to organize less people. So if you're sitting there thinking about your workplace and how there's only you know seven or eight of you guys there, you can do it too. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, you may have some some opportunities there to take advantage of that. You know, maybe aren't there for some of these bigger employers and bigger work sites. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of hope that you can organize because we all need to. Right. Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, so, folks, just a reminder, we are coming to you commercial-free, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO. Uh, thank you very much for to President Bryn Riley and the executive board for sponsoring the last Saturday of every month uh, so that we can come to you commercial-free, so that we can take your calls. The phone number is 1-866-494-9866. We've got about 30 minutes left in the program, so... Uh, uh, give us a call so that we can uh, have something to talk about. Uh, bad boss stories. We, we do legitimately have things to talk about, just so you know. Right, right. But sure, we yeah. would love to have your calls and your participation as well. And if you can't call, feel free to chat in on, on Facebook or YouTube and tell us what you're thinking. Right, right. And uh, bad boss stories going to get you to the front of the line. Questions about unions, especially like from a skeptical place. You know, like I, I had a good conversation the other day with somebody that um, that I just happened to kind of talk to a person that I didn't know in public asking me about like, you know, 
why should why should I you know why are unions good like what what's all this about unions why do you like unions and it, and it was just a total stranger and and um uh, and it, it was a good conversation you know I think I was able to to um tell her some things that she didn't she didn't previously know before and so if you're coming from a skeptical place uh you know I would I'd love to uh answer your questions and and hear your thoughts um but of course bad boss stories organizing wins give us another shot of hope this morning uh that would be really great so again the phone number is 1-866-494-9866 one more time before we go for the break 1-866-494-9866 we will be right back this is the valley labor report You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. All power to the workers. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host Adam Keller. We've got a surprise guest in the studio here to pick up some stuff, David Story, and it is Alabama AFL-CIO Open Line Saturday. The phone number is 1-866-494-9866, and the lines are open for bad boss stories, organizing wins, um, union questions, anything at all. The phone number is 1-866-494-9866. Adam? I swung by to pick up a check, and I'm being held hostage. Yeah. Someone send the police. Yeah. So. <laughs> Not the Huntsville police, Not please. Anybody, anybody but them. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, uh, the ongoing saga to get criminal justice reform and police accountability in Huntsville continues. Uh if you missed our interview, David and I talked with Chad Chavez uh, about a month or so ago. Uh, Coalition, Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform in Huntsville is doing a great job, along with Black Lives Matter Huntsville and other organizations. Uh, they're continuing to hold the city council's feet to the fire. Uh, there was some discussion at the last meeting about some, finally, some changes. It was then pulled. So I definitely encourage you to follow your city council meetings. I believe they will have one coming up. Uh, If not this Thursday, it should be the next Thursday. A few other events happening that I wanted to share with you guys. Alabama Rise, another friend of the show. They are having a Healthcare for All online meeting on June 29th at 6 p.m. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, Arise is a coalition and ag- advocacy group. They do a great job in Montgomery monitoring the legislature, pushing for uh, relief for poverty, pushing for government transparency, criminal justice reform, voting rights, you name it. All good stuff. And they are a leader in the hashtag Cover Alabama Coalition, which is pushing to expand Medicaid. Uh, if you haven't seen it, there was a, a yet another report that came out recently talking about the jobs that would be created by expanding Medicaid. And, and I thought that the politicians in Alabama were all about jobs, jobs, jobs. They're happy to bribe uh, multinational corporations and Yankee corporations to come down here and exploit our cheap labor. But when it comes to providing health care to over 300,000 working-class Alabamians and creating thousands of good-paying jobs, they're nowhere to be found. So we need more and more folks to really join in with that coalition. Uh, I'd like to see some unions 
pass resolutions, get their locals involved in supporting the effort. Uh, we need the education community to jump on board uh, because, you know, a family that has health care is typically going to be easier to educate their kids uh, when they're not right. stressed about their parents going to the doctor. A few other events we have coming up. Um, we have the Midsummer Festival happening tonight. That's right. Oh, man. Thank you so much for reminding me that I forgot. I'm going to be there tonight, but I wanted to mention it on the show today. And I'm so glad that you had that written down because I totally slipped my mind. Yeah. Uh, Obed Edom is a, a band that we had on the show not too long ago. Uh, they have generously lended their music to our uh, intro. And. Great guys, they're playing tonight. The festival is starts at 5 p.m. It's going to be at Lee Acres right outside of Huntsville. Uh, supposed to go to 10.30, probably later. So if you're interested in a music festival here locally with a lot of local talent, check them out. It's, uh, it ends at 10.30, but if you want to camp at Lee Acres, you can pay like 20 bucks and bring a tent or something, and you can stay overnight. Um, so that's, that, that, that's an option as well. It's BYOB as well. Uh, another friend of the show, Charles Hastings, known as uh, Solo Monk Two Five Six on Twitter. I believe he has a new album coming out just uh. in the next week or two. Uh, so definitely follow him at Solo Monk Two Five Six. He's done some great artwork for our, for our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, puts out a lot of great music as well. And uh, the newest edition of Labor Notes that I just got in my mailbox yesterday features an article from our very own Jacob Morrison. It was also published in Jacobin Magazine, and uh, it's about how conservatives love coal miners until it comes to an actual labor battle, as we see here. Uh, Because as you can tell, conservatives in Alabama are not jumping up and down to support those 1,100 sisters and brothers on strike in Brookwood, Alabama. So check out that article if you missed it. And uh, the last thing I believe would be the State Board of Education is having its upcoming meeting and work session on July 13th. You got a couple of weeks to prepare for that. It's going to be broadcast online. And the only reason I mention that is because we've seen a lot of people like on this station obsessed with what they're calling critical race theory. Uh, I'm not sure that any of them could explain that to you, but uh, the state superintendent has already, you know, done some some red meat throwing that out there to the base, working with Governor Ivey. So we expect that to be a conversation at the State Board of Education meeting coming up. Uh, if you have thoughts about that, you might want to tune in. It's probably going to be stupid, is just my guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and, and I'd bet you 20 bucks that the conversation you hear will be asinine and make you lose brain cells. But, it's it's uh, stupid to even discuss this because it's my understanding that critical race theory isn't taught in it's any not. primary yeah. schools it, it's it, not it's at a secondary you know school level and like here we are level yeah drumming up drumming yeah. up anger among people just to have something to fight about right and yeah. that, and of course well, that is uh american politics fighting windmills right. and uh creating imaginary en- enemies that you can then fight uh culturally that that's exactly right and that and and that is something that I, I hit on in the Labor Notes article, and it's online as well. If you don't subscribe and print, you can find it online. It's some, the title is something like Conservative Talking Heads Love Coal Miners Until They Go on Strike. And and something that I, that I point out is that um, when 
coal miners. Really, it's just coal bosses. But when coal miners, this this deified, idealized uh, perception they have of them in their imagination, not real people, but just this imaginary figure that they have, can be used as a cudgel in a cultural battle that will have no material impact on anybody's life, when they can be used in that way, conservative politicians and talk radio hosts and TV personalities love, 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 love coal miners. Absolutely. They could not get enough of coal miners. And, and we can look at, at, at what happened when, in 2016, I believe it was, when Hillary Clinton said, we're going to put a lot of coal miners out of business. And uh, that, was, that was bad. That was a bad statement. Absolutely. That was worded terribly. Um, and she, de- she deserved flack for that. And she got it from, I believe, the left and the right. Uh, but uh, did that? culture war battle actually have any material impact on any coal miner no there was it was only these uh buzzwords um it it was just a culture war battle it was just another battle in the culture war here we have over a thousand over a thousand coal miners that means there are over a thousand families directly dependent on wages from warrior met coal and warrior met coal is directly dependent on them for their coal output directly dependent on them and uh they are on strike right now because warrior met has not held up their side of the understood bargain which was that five years ago the workers are going to take concessions to save the company. Once the company is saved, they will get those things back. And Warrior Met is refusing to give them what they deserve. They're refusing to even come to the bargaining table in a lot of instances. And you, unless it's me, unless I am on the radio, you don't hear a damn thing about it. Not on Twitter from the people that represent you or that want to represent you or that represent the people in Brookwood or want to represent the people in Brookwood. You don't hear anything about it. This is the largest strike in Alabama in decades. The largest coal miner strike in Alabama in decades. And Republican politicians and their mouthpieces in the media are not saying anything about it. Anything at all. Anything at all. And why is that? Why why is it that they will spend hours and hours and dozens and hundreds of tweets and uh, uh, and content and airtime and Facebook posts and news segments on critical race theory, on the great cancellation of Dr. Seuss, on any of these other, on, on Starbucks cups. Why is it that they will have, uh, why is it that they will spend so much time on these totally performative 
immaterial things and they won't lend their support, they won't galvanize their audience to support actual working people in Alabama, actual conservative, in many cases, working people in Alabama. Again, I've said this multiple times. I saw Trump hats on the picket line. Okay? Where are these conservative politicians and media figures? They're nowhere to be found because this strike has something that these other culture war issues do not, which is working class solidarity wielded against the boss. Okay? You don't have that in the bashing Hillary Clinton for saying she's going to put coal miners out of work. You don't have that when we're talking about uh, Dr. Seuss's estate taking down one of his books because they had racist caricatures, and you don't have that uh, when you're talking about Starbucks cups. There's to- there's no working class anything, and it's a completely constructed culture war issue. In Alabama, there are a thousand coal miners that are conservative and liberal and black and white and men and women coming together across all of these ideological and gender and racial divides to come together to fight for each other and for their families and for their communities against a corrupt corporation, against New York hedge funds. And if they can do it, then maybe the people in this audience can. And we can't have you thinking anything like that. I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, the one thing that all of these people that you just talked about, all the talking heads, all the radio show hosts, all the corporate media, all the politicians, the same thing that all of these, including most of the radio hosts on this station, the rest of the 24 hours that we're not here, what they all want you to believe is that the politics are going to save you, that that if you'll just elect Biden, if you'll just elect Trump, if you'll just elect Reagan or or anybody else, that, and keep that, buying our products, that please subscribe. Yeah, <laughs> that, that everything is going to be wonderful. Your life's going to be so much more wonderful if you'll just. And they want you to put all your faith in politics. And the last thing that they want you to understand is that if you form a coalition of workers and increase your wages and increase uh, get better health care, pay less for health care, all of a sudden. When you're making decent money and you don't have to worry about going to the hospital for a emergency surgery and you don't have to worry about uh, is the school going to help subsidize my child's meal. All of a sudden, when you have all of these great things, most of your concerns about these culture wars goes away. They're not important anymore because guess what? Your standard of living is raised and you're really not worried about all the horse crap that they're selling you. Right, and that's that's something that W. E. B. Du Bois talked about in one of his uh, one of his essays, uh, which was the psychological wage that uh, white free laborers in the antebellum South got from not being on the bottom rung. Right, and 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 there's some certain certainly it's disanalogous in a lot of ways because we're not talking exactly when we're talking about, but but the thing the way that it is analogous is that. It's a distraction. It's a distraction for those white, free white laborers and before uh, during slavery. It was a dist- a distraction to them uh, 
for the white plantation owners to be able to point to the black slaves and say, look, there's somebody one rung below you so you can be happy. Or, uh, look, they're the people that you should be mad at instead of us. When what would have actually benefited the free white laborers is to free the black slaves. But they were able to convince a lot of these free white laborers to hate the slaves, to think themselves better than the slaves, to not support slaves in their various rebellions or the cause of liberty for them. And that is what they, uh, that is what so many of these culture war issues are about is distracting you to make you think that, oh, if only I can uh, keep my fourth grader from learning critical race theory, which is not something that any fourth grader <laughs> learns anyway, <laughs> like that, that this is the issue that is, that, 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 that is going, that the fate of the country is going to rest on. Like that's, it's, it's totally nonsense. What is the fate of the country actually going to rest on? It's going to rest on the uh, material stability and the community of workers. That's that's what that's what uh, the fate of this country rests on. But they want to distract you and get you mad at your brothers and sisters by ginning all this up, by making stuff up about critical race theory, by uh, by talking about it so much, like it's being taught to kindergartners. I mean, I actually heard news segments about, oh, this is such a terrible thing to teach to four and five year olds, and it's like. What four and five year old is in law school? I mean, I never even heard about it. I have literally, I never heard of critical race theory until two months ago, mm-hmm. and I took, uh, I took graduate level philosophy courses. Like this is just not something that most people learn about over the course of their lives. And it, you know, I mean, it's it's so silly to be distracted by this when there are workers fighting for their lives, when companies are trying to uh, uh, to ground workers into dust uh and we need to come together and fight on these material concerns not on you know just this 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 total bs well like you said it's distraction and it's also division because our most powerful weapon we have is our numbers and the solidarity we can build inside of those numbers um you know to take it back to what uh, one of our teamster brothers said this morning we'll never have the money that the billionaires have, uh, but we have the people. And the more you build solidarity, the more you forge relationships in struggle for one another, loving one another, taking care of one another, uh, the more you can transcend some of those divisions, which are artificial, which have been created by the bosses and politicians. Uh, And that's really the the key moving forward to building a better country, a better state, a better world, is that we work together across these lines, across race and gender and religion and sexuality and all these other, you know, identities and, you know, in some cases, artificial identities, uh, because, in the United States, it seems, you know, the, the most important thing is that they want you to identify as a consumer with a certain identity. You buy certain products. You think certain way. You follow certain people. Um, you know, it's all driven by consumption, distraction, division. Right. And when you actually get out into the real world and you help one another with real struggles, when you go out and you fight in the workplace – and you win a raise, when you win benefits, it, you know, like David said, all that stuff just kind of falls in the background because you see how fake it is. Uh, it's all, 
you know it, it's it's the matrix basically uh is what it is and something that i wanted to to i meant to mention earlier but i think kind of ties in is that there was actually a poll done at the start of june that there is a massive amount of support for the pro act right. so you know while politicians and the media are focusing on all these silly issues here we have a piece of legislation that would you know, greatly improve mm-hmm. the labor movement in this country. It would greatly improve uh, the everyday existence for working class people in this country. And there's substantial support, even among Republicans. In fact, 40% of Republicans in this poll said they support the PRO Act, along with 74% of Democrats, 58% of independents. Now, that's pretty damn good. And you're not going to find a lot of issues in, in right. this country that has that level of, of broad support. So that's you know why I think is it, why isn't anybody talking about it right right because it'll it'll shift the balance of power to workers right that's and, why no and that's talking. what it all boils down to right is power uh, when you're not dependent on a spouse or an employer to have health care mm-hmm. that gives you power when you know that you have brothers and sisters who will back you up. If you're being picked on by your boss, being harassed, being terminated by your boss, you know that you have people to back you up. That's power. Right. And there's real power in that community. And and that is the thing that scares the bosses and the politicians more than anything is when they see ordinary, everyday people across divisions building their power. When, when I mean, it's, it's something that the conservatives talk about a lot, but they don't follow through with it. When... The people out here on the street recognize that we don't need you any longer, that we don't need the politicians, and we really don't need the bosses any longer. It, it scares the hell out of them, you know. But the, the conservatives, they talk a good game about it, but mm-hmm. they, they never follow through on what actually creates that system. And that syst- that, that create, create, part of creating that system is leveraging the power that the workers have. Right. They just they they want you to be crippled. They want you to think that either the right Republican clutch or the left Democratic clutch that you need one of those crutches to help you walk through life every day, and you don't. Right. I mean, I think both parties uh, are apt to yeah. describe symptoms of our current system to promise solutions to those symptoms, but we never get into what is causing all these symptoms. Uh, because there is a root cause there, and that's our socioeconomic system that both parties are established to defend. Um, you know, so I, I think the building power is important. The more we build unions, that gives us power. The more we set up worker co-ops and, and establish our own production outside of – when we get to the point where we don't have to rely on them, when we don't have to rely on them to Ooh, feed our families, happens? you know – when that happens, yeah. I, I think, and I think it can, and I think it will, the more we build our own co-ops, the more we build our own unions, the more we can control the economy ourselves to take care of one another, the less we have to even fool with these people and their distractions. Yeah, and you're not going to do and it. And, and, and it all goes back to the same thing that I've been saying. You're not going to do that through a political party. A no. political party is there to provide a crutch for you. No matter what side you're on, it's there to provide a crutch for you. You will build power through working class organizations, through unionization, and coming and 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 then eventually, you know, it would be my hope that eventually we do away with government in, in, in completely, 
What's the what's what's the reason of having a centralized government when our when we got our communities taking care of each other out here in, in our region? There's no reason for it anymore. You quit paying those taxes to support big business, and it starts going directly into your community, into health care, into things like that. It's there's a concept that I won't use the name of of what that's called, but uh, you know if that sounds good, I would say get involved with some unions. That's exactly right. We've got a call to wrap us up. Uh, Mel Sutton is on the line. Mel, uh, you wanted to ask a question. What you got? I was just, I was, uh, y'all had mentioned, uh, y'all had mentioned the two-tier wage structure. And uh, I was, uh, I was a witness to that two-tier wage structure. Uh, and and it's, uh, and it's sad effects. Uh the other, the other point I'd like to make, y'all to discuss, is uh, the loss of defined pensions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. The, the loss of defined pensions is, uh, I don't know, that is this. It's not good. It's not good for the future of uh, of uh, the labor. I mean, to to lose these defined pensions, and I enjoy my defined pension right now. Mm-hmm. It, which was funded by the company I worked for. Yeah, well, it was funded by and, your labor. You know, that's the, it was. It was. It was right. part. It was part and parcel to to the master labor agreement that I worked under. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was. You know. We, you know. You gave up part of of your uh, of of what the slice of the pie the company was willing to give to you. So and but uh, but you know these companies have gone after these defined pensions now. What's the future going to look like when, you know, the common guy out there on the shop floor, is he going to, is he going to fund those 401k plans? No. Because if he, you know. Or what happens when he gets ready to retire, when the right as the stock market collapses, as happened, you know, twice in the past decade. Uh, and that 401k suddenly, you know, plummets in value right as he's ready to retire. Well, and I remember this. I'm, I'll make this point, and then, and then I'll let y'all discuss it. But I, I, I won't ever forget when George, uh, George II won, won re-election, and he was all full of himself, and they were all ready to turn right, Social Security so into the stock market. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And thank, thankfully, it failed. I remember right. that very Thankfully well. Thankfully, it failed. But now, you know, and you know yourself, Social Security is under fire, too. Yeah. Always. Yeah, I mean, and, the, uh, the defined pension, Social Security, everything that allows us as workers to stop working is constantly under attack because they don't want yeah. us yeah. to stop working. They want If we stop working, then all of a sudden we quit paying taxes into a system that, that's designed to rob from us. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't want this to sound morbid, but I envision a future where the the common guy on the shop floor does not have a defined pension, and in his in his elder years, he's. I mean, he's working at Walmart many, as a greeter. Mm-hmm. You, well, how many how many greeter jobs is there going to be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many? Uh, and and with that, I mean, I'll just turn it back to y'all and y'all. Can, Y'all can discuss it or not. So, but you know, I just, I, you know, I just think about the future and and that two tier wage structure, guys. Yeah, it's not good. 
Great. It, it's it's, it's not good. It's absolutely really worrying. Thank you, Mel, for calling yeah. in. And that's and you know that that's it's it's, it's and nice the way to, to hear fix a it, caller that yeah, actually right. has some sense. Right. I know. It's, it it, I it is really it. It is really worrying about the future, about um, about workers not having defined pensions. No one except union workers has defined pensions anymore. Um, and, and tying our ability to retire to the stock market well, is real. Except union workers and bosses. There's a ton of yeah, CEOs well, right, that's sure, got sure. nice defined pensions. But the, how do you fix that? You fix that through worker organization, through unionizing. And so if you don't have a union in your shop, you got to get one. David, can you talk to us some about the... Uh, that two-tier wage system to to uh uh bring us out like why people hear that i think and that aren't in unions and they don't understand like why that's bad yeah i mean two-tier wage systems come into place probably uh in the, maybe in the late 80s uh mid to late 80s i think the first ones to do it was general motors and uh but you know basically what they said is uh all you auto workers are making too much money. Uh, if you want to continue making all of this money, sell out the people that you don't know yet. Sell out the people that we haven't hired yet and allow us to bring them in at $12 an hour instead of $20 an hour. And it, and it's created division in the workforce. And now you've got a large workforce that's making half of what the elder workforce is making. Right. That's exactly right, David. Two tiers are bad. 401ks are bad. Pensions in one tier are good. Unions will help you get them. This is the Valley Labor Report, and we'll see you next week.